When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Joining me today on the podcast is somebody I've been excited to talk to for a while now. It's uh, Jackie M. Smith, who is the author of many books, um, primarily oriented, if I'm not mistaken, towards children to kind of help kind of growth and put like maybe the difficult conversations into a perspective, and to, but addressing it in a way that can be not just beneficial to them, but also relatable. Um, but the specific book that we wanted to talk about today is something that was uh, told to me by a friend that's been on the podcast before, Lisa Roger, who I talked to a couple months ago about her experiences as a black member of the church or Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you're a friend of Lisa's, Jackie, and you wrote the book Pass It On specifically that I actually have with me that I've read. Um, Pass It On, I want to, obviously, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, you'll cover most of this. The idea behind it is you you know, your mother of how many children again? Sorry, I forgot. No, seven. I can't remember. Seven, seven children. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. It's impressive. <laughs> um, one of those children specifically, and you mentioned his name in the book, so I figure that's okay to mention as well, Spencer, um, who who is gay and is something that he grew up with in your family. And your approach in the book is to essentially explain that realization that you and your husband had that your family had, but it's really primarily about you and a little bit about your husband, how you were able to adapt, build this loving home and help not just understand what Spencer was going through, but help others understand and and grow and learn. That was a very long intro. I'm sorry about that. But please, Jackie, tell me obviously about kind of your background, what led you to kind of decide to write this book and then the other books as well, and then kind of everything that you've learned and discovered from there. Well, I appreciate what you said because it really is my journey and I don't want people to assume that I am speaking for Spencer at all. And that's something that he and I have discussed um, or my husband. I tried really hard to be objective, even about the things I've said about him um, because that is their journey. And this is, this is my journey. It's a continued journey and it will continue, you know, on I'm sure um, throughout life. But um yeah, I decided to write it because I think that um, my ex- our experience with uh, having a gay son and being involved in the church, so many changes in my life, so many things had come about. But the, one of the key reasons that I was attracted to the gospel was the idea of everyone being able to have a relationship with God and, and him reaching out to everyone because, you know, the, of the religions that I w- had been exposed to before, it was very limiting. And I thought that, you know, I, I do believe that organized religion itself is very, can be very limiting and put people in a box. And I think that studying the, the LDS church really opened that up for me. And I couldn't just deny that once I had a gay son, you know, I, even though there are some paradoxes there. So I went forward searching and came out with that book for it. Gotcha. And let's talk about the book a little bit. Well, not a little bit. That'll probably be the, the primary basis for this specific episode. Um, you mentioned kind of, it was from a pretty early age that you knew you were dealing with Spencer. 
your kid Spencer kind of was unique among your other children, not necessarily in the gay sense, not that it was like, oh, it seems like maybe he has homosexual feelings. It was just that you knew you were dealing with somebody that was very headstrong, uh, could be a little bit difficult by comparison, a little oh, bit more I'm so rebellious. Glad you got that out of it that he's headstrong. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, but you obviously didn't love him any different. And then it started to become uncovered and, and a realization to you specifically that he was maybe having homosexual feelings at a pretty young age. You, I can't remember the first time that maybe you th- thought you noticed something, but I do know, I remember you noted specifically, and this is something I, I definitely agree with in my own experience from seventh to 10th grade is like very, very formidable for any child's growth. And I look at that and I think seventh grade, I hated seventh grade. I hated it. I felt very awkward. I know you're in California. I don't know exactly if it's the same out there. At least some schools might be different, but seventh grade is the first year of junior high in Utah. My family had just moved to Utah the year before that. So I did sixth grade elementary school. And then I went into middle school, seventh, seventh grade. And, um, it's, it was a tough time, not because I felt I was, I, fortunately I was never really bullied, but you just don't know who you are and you're trying to discover that. And you're around a lot of bad influences. I feel like everything that was ever terrible that I learned, essentially, there was a foundation for all the terrible things I've learned in my life that was in middle school because kids are just always trying to like shock people and, and be different outside the box and all that stuff. And anyway, once again, I feel like I don't want to dominate this podcast, but I just felt like you, you nailed something seventh to 10th grade are really important years. I don't know if you've seen that specifically in research or if that was just kind of your own experience as well, but I definitely agree with it. And that was no exception for Spencer specifically. It sounds like. Well, it's funny because I also hated seventh grade, just like you, but I also taught middle school. And um, I've always said that it was such an interesting experience because you're dealing with kids. Some are still watching Sesame Street and some are out smoking pot. And you're like, it's a very difficult um, thing to to pull together as a teacher. And um, it's an interesting time. And it is a time where I feel like uh, if you can grasp onto something with your child, you can you don't want to lose those moments because they're very crucial and formidable, like you said, in, in a child's life. And what did you teach? Sorry, I actually didn't catch that. I don't know if you wrote that in the book, but what did you teach? In oh, um, I taught eighth grade English. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I only taught that for a short time before I started having children. Well, actually, I was by the time I had my third children, I my third child, I stopped teaching and, gotcha. and stayed at home with kids. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, and so... As you had been kind of raising Spencer specifically, what were some of the beginning stages? It was difficult for you. You you outlined that in the book very directly. Difficult in the sense, not because you were like, it didn't, at least it didn't come across as, oh my gosh, I can't believe I raised a gay son. This is the worst thing in the world. It's difficult in the sense where it's like, this is a paradigm shift for me. I never have dealt with this before, obviously. How do I differentiate my not differentiate, but how do I kind of combine these worlds of my love for Spencer and and making sure he feels that love while it also uh, being able to still feel like you're a strong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And, and can you tell me about kind of the beginning stages of that? 
Well, that is such a great question. And I have to say that um, we've developed so much since I've written the book that even that has changed and even that has moved moved forward. Um, But yes, I think that um, one of the things that he and I just discussed was the idea that, you know, a lot of Latter-day Saints are like, yeah, you know, we love you and accept you for, you know, everything and, and all these things. But on their end, on his end, he's doing the same thing for us. And he's like, hey, man, I don't believe everything that you're doing or everything that you stand for. And I love you anyway as well. And that is kind of really the, at the foundation of our, of our relationship. And it, and, and it was a big paradigm shift for our entire family. And I will tell you this, Harper, I still every single day give thanks for this and for him and for him being in our lives because it has been a great catalyst um, to help all of us move closer to God, including him. And, you know, I just, I love that. I love him. Oh, yeah, no question. And I, I like what you said, too, where he, he does the same thing kind of on the other side, which kind of makes it sound like he's probably a nice ally in the sense where he's like, hey, not all strong Christians or even specifically members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are terrible, gay-hating people, you know, and and I think that's just as important, right? I have it's it's easy to get painted in that box from a cultural perspective and it's important to have uh you know people like your son i have a friend specifically who's been on this podcast before andy he also lives out there in california but he grew up in utah um and he he's kind of the same way he because he's got a great relationship with the church he's not a part of the church anymore but in a lot of ways still believes in the doctrine of the church um but he, he's a great person to kind of have in that same position as it sounds like Spencer's in where he's, they're just kind of helping these two worlds coexist, which if you specifically could, you know, what, what would be your goal and mission as a mother that's a member of the church who has raised a gay son? What would you want people in the church to know specifically from, from your own experience? Well, that really um, was one of the motivations I had for writing the book, because I felt really strongly I wanted to reach out specifically to mothers, parents in general, but specifically to mothers and and tell them how I was feeling very honestly, very vulnerably, so that I could say, it's okay to feel all these feelings. It's okay to go, you know, what? And to question and to to pray to God about it and to tell God, you don't know what to do. And, you know, it's just, it, it's all out there and very, um, I just want people to know. So, so I like the way you said that you talked about being in a box. And I believe that today, all these things are happening, all these social changes with, with everything politically and socially that we are trying to break out of these boxes. And I think it's very important for the um, progress of the gospel because I think that people are scraping off a bunch of junk that's accumulated from some of the misinterpretations of the gospel in the past, which is natural because, you know, men aren't perfect and women aren't perfect. And as we've grown, we scrape these things off and it allows for us to our raw selves to come closer to God. That's the way it is. Instead of saying that we're, you know, God fearing people and building up these walls, it's, it's really breaking everything down. And I believe it's really part of the plan of salvation. I, I feel it rolling forward because of these things that are happening. Do you mind uh, expanding on that a little bit more when you say it, you feel like it's part of the plan of salvation to kind of out, be outside of that box? 
What, what does that mean exactly? Well, I just, I mean, okay, now I, I don't want to, um, you know, I want to describe who I am a little bit. So I did join the church while I was in college and I was raised um, by, in a pretty liberal family. My mother was a liberal, liberal uh, Democrat, still is, um, and, um, you know, grew up with like, you know, uh, political pamphlets for McGovern all over our dining room table, yeah. which probably doesn't mean anything to you, but that was yeah. back in the seventies. And, um, and then my dad was kind of what I would say, a, a liberal Republican. And so, you know, growing up with, with that and a lot of um, different views, um, I entered the church without a lot of the cultural, you know, um, I would say cultural things that are affecting a lot of people today. So when I speak, I want to apologize and say, I don't want to talk for people who have grown up with these things, who are fighting against some of these things. And, you know, I, I don't want to act like I know what they're going through, but I, I like to, to say um, that I do think it's healthy that these people are trying to break out of some of the things that they felt were damaging in their lives. Um, and you know, cause I am dealing what, with, what, sorry, along those lines, get like an example of people wanting to break out from, okay. So I feel like, um, there's kind of this little bit of a movement that with, I, I would say in general with the, um, homosexuality itself and with, um, maybe race issues that your generation and younger are, are kind of fighting against some of the, um, you know, traditional cultural things that have developed in the church. I'm sorry gotcha. if I wasn't specific yeah. enough about that, but no, 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 that that's fine. No, that, but I appreciate the explanation there. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I what I look at, and I want to say to people, it's okay to feel this way. I think it's the way to come closer to God, to be honest, and to you know, kind of get rid of some of the traditional cultural things that have gone on. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And that and and by saying that, that seems kind of like your perception of how the plan of salvation works. I understand it in the sense where diversity essentially is kind of imperative for the plan to 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 work it sounds like what you're saying it's we're not supposed to necessarily all think alike all be alike um but diversity is what can give us strength in a lot of ways oh i totally yes and the thing is to me president nelson is he's just incredible like he represents the idea that we can change and still be strong and still be you know, solid in the gospel. I mean, he, he's bringing this into us and it stems all the way back to Joseph Smith. I mean, he was the, you know, pinnacle for change, for questioning, for moving forward. And, and I, I don't think the church has ever really lost that, except that they got a little bit lost in some of the, you know, hard nosed, maybe some of the Quaker, or, you know, Puritan traditions that filtered on down. Oh, absolutely. No, it's it, the, the crossover between culture and church policy and church doctrine is a fascinating one. I, mm-hmm. I, I personally, and this is coming from somebody that obviously identifies conservative, you know, traditional member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I would say. Like, there's there's no question about that. I don't make any bones about that. But um, there there is a lot to be discussed there because there's no question that a lot of church policy is informed by the culture of its time. And policy isn't necessary like policy generally isn't doctrine so you can actually say church policy really doesn't define our beliefs necessarily but it's more just kind of like how we run the church what are the rules what are the regulations things like that so mm-hmm. which needs to it's, be a, done. it's yeah. yeah yeah absolutely right it's in order to have any organization you're going to need to have 
policy in place. And I like to think of it as God saying, hey, figure it out, right? He's not saying, in fact, he even says that in the Doctrine of Covenants. He says, it is not meet that I should command in all things, right? Because right. if, if that were the case, then what would, what, where would your agency play a role in all this? And right. we do need to be accountable for a lot of the decisions we make, including certain pol policy and, and things like that, obviously. Anyway, I feel like it's a little tangential. I do want to kind of go back. You had mentioned your own experience in joining the church. I kind of want to hear more about that. And this is probably a, bit, a little bit selfishly uh, curious on my part, but <laughs> hey, it is my podcast, so I guess I can do this. <laughs> um, when you joined the church, you obviously, you had said you were you were liberal. Um, did that change at all over time? I, I don't even know where you stand right now, personally, and I'm just kind of curious. Did, was there any transformation when you joined the church? Did you feel like, oh, now it's time to be more conservative because that just fits more with my religious beliefs? Or did you kind of already say, I still identify with a lot of those political policies? Or And then furthermore, did that change at all when Spencer had come out of the closet and embraced more of that lifestyle? Um, well, that is a great question. The answer is yes to all of it, really. Um, yeah. But politically... Um, Yes, I would say that um, I did get a little uh, more conservative and because I was trying to feel things out. As you can imagine, that was a big change in my life, a big change of everything, you know, joining the church oh, and yeah. kind of changing Absolutely. my lifestyle and everything. Um, and so, yes, I did uh, become more conservative politically. Um, but honestly, most of it was like economically. I could see those type of things. I was listening to those type of people. But socially, um, I never really went too extreme conservatively. Um, and but yes, when um, Spencer did come out and we started to deal with this, I started to investigate more, even more strongly about what my feelings were. I mean, it did I, sound I, like in the sorry, keep going. Sorry. No, I, don't go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say it did sound like in your book that you it, it, there had been a, at least a presumption on my end that you were initially against gay marriage as had, you know, been being part of the church and everything. And that that was starting to be transformed as you had started kind of identifying more with Spencer's plight and things like yeah. that. Well, honestly, I have to be honest about this. I, um, ever since, because before Prop 8, there was another um, push. I can't remember the proposition. I want to say it was Prop 22 or something that um, was also about gay marriage. And we were also asked to kind of support that. And from that initial time, I, I always had a, a sick feeling in my stomach. I, I really never felt strongly about it, but I was still developing my testimony, my strength in the church, and I did want to follow what the church leaders were saying. So there was a little bit of an issue there for me all along. Um, and it wasn't just my son um, coming out, even though that really was a huge catalyst. Um, but I, I think I would have gone that direction anyway, because I, I did always have those feelings. I, I was going to tell you that I mean, you asked about my transition into the church. I dated a young man in high school. And honestly, our first conversation before we even dated is I, I kind of attacked him and asked him why he didn't believe, why didn't he support abortion? And we had this big, long talk about that. So, so socially, social issues, I was always pretty liberal about. And um, anyway, so we uh, dated in high school. He wasn't, he and his family had only been members of the church for like four or five years before I had met him. So he wasn't, didn't talk a lot about the church. He didn't invite me to things or anything like that. But when I left for college, I met a girl um, who was LDS, who came to the same college I did in California. And she invited me to church with her, telling me she was kind of questioning her own testimony and asked if I would just come hang out with her. And I was like, mm. sure, 
sure. So I went and I met these missionaries and they asked if they could come over. And I thought in my head, I'm going to listen to these missionaries because I want to know what I'm talking about when I tell this guy that I dated in high school that I don't believe in what he believes. Yeah. And so I started to, you know, took the discussion from them. And then it was the Book of Mormon that really changed me. And I, I had a big, a great testimony of Book of Mormon when I read it. And that's when I joined the church. So I, I do love that story just because it's a, it's a reemphasis and a, um, you know, a reminder that the Book of Mormon is so broadly applicable. You know, you don't really find, certainly not of today, and of course you wouldn't. How could you? Because this book was written, you know, six, started 600 BC and all the way through and after Christ. Um, you're not going to see a lot of our political policy pop up <laughs> in, in terms of topics. Uh, but it does emphasize the family, right? And it does emphasize uh, other major points of doctrine specifically. And you don't, it doesn't, you don't need to be one side or the other to embrace that philosophy and try and have those ideals be what leads you in life. So I do like that. That's something that stood out to you. And you're just kind of like, Oh wow, the book of Mormon, this is true. So where do I go now? And with that came, well, then this church certainly has the best interpretation of the gospel that I can see, which is something that I've actually, I've put it that way a lot. And I hope I don't alienate any of my listeners, but I have said that, you know, we believe the, Book of Mormon to be the most true book on earth. Um, we believe this church to be true, with, but in that comes with some some interesting caveats, which is it's still a gospel and a doctrine interpreted by imperfect men. So what does that exactly mean? I, I That doesn't mean I would ever say there's any other church that's more true. I would just believe that specifically our church has the most truth. We have the most access to the truth and it gives us the best opportunity to return to God's presence. And with that, why would I ever leave this church and why would I ever want to join another church? So that's kind of the way I look at it. If, if that makes sense. Once again, tangential, I tend to do that. (laughs) That's okay. And I love it because that is your, um, when you say that, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that your journey is through the church is the best way for you to get close to God. But I think what I'm trying to say in the book and saying to others that if being a member of the church is hurting you and you need to heal from some of these things, like if you're a gay member or if, or if you're somebody that's been offended by something, if leaving the church and finding truth through another spiritual path is your way back to God, I, I 100% support that. Because I think that there are many ways to reach God. and um, But I do believe, like you, I believe that the Book of Mormon, I love how you put that, um, is a great interpretation of the gospel. And, and it is. It has brought a lot of truth and light into my life. But I do allow that journey to be completely brought worldwide, you know, that there are so many paths to light and truth. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, so it's interesting, the, the kind of your, your approach there that if people are feeling uncomfortable, discomforted or whatever it might be being a part of the church and you feel like they should leave in order to kind of feel better about the truth that they believe in. Um, that's not something I've really considered a whole lot. And I, and it's, I mainly because I can't relate to it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say, that's the wrong approach because of this. Well, I can't say that I have ever really had a crisis of faith. All I can, and and for that reason, I can't necessarily say 
I mean, in my mind, I feel like, well, I don't know if I'd encourage people to leave the church, right? I, personally, because that's not something that a, a, applies to me. It's not something that I've had to do myself. If I did and came back and I felt like it helped, then maybe that's something I could get behind. But for now, I feel like there's, as you say, the Book of Mormon, you know, it's, it is, we believe that is true. So from there, I feel like, how do we, how do we use that as a trickle down effect? How do we use that to inform kind of what is making us feel uncomfortable within the church? And how do we discover that? I don't know. There's a lot there. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm not saying necessarily, oh, that's, that's bad. That's a terrible approach. But at the same time, I feel like in my own discovery of this, the atonement is what gave me the strength that I feel like I have right now, because it was truly God's love and Christ's sacrifice for me that helped me feel tethered to this gospel. Mm -hmm. And from there, it was kind of like, you know what? I can, I can jive with this. And that's kind of how I would put it. I just kind of, do I jive with this church? And I do, I do jive with the church. Does that mean everybody jives with it? Of course not. So how do people have to find kind of their own path there? It's hard to say. I would say you probably have to look at the basic constructs, right? The, the atonement, the book of Mormon, maybe the family or things like that. And how does that inform how you feel about the church now? I don't know. It's, it's, it's really, it's a hard one. So, well, I love, I think that because you said, um, the atonement, you're tethered because of the atonement. And I think that other people are so, um, maybe blinded or burdened by things that have blinded them to the atonement. And that is, that is the, that's the part that needs to be healed. That's the part that needs to be scraped off because the atonement really is the center. And that is the key. And I think that people can access the atonement in all sorts of other places and through all sorts of other, you know, and that is why I think that if they need to, if they've been burdened by something that has, is, is um, preventing them from accessing the atonement through this, then they need to go do that somewhere else. And in my faith, I, I would say that that would eventually lead them back to this, but who knows, you know, and who knows when yeah. maybe it'll be in the next life. For sure. so, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, very, very uh, formidable hypothesis, I would say, right? I mean, that's that there, you're, you're connecting some dots there that certainly make sense and could help people for sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, kind of going back to the book and you as a, as a mother specifically of somebody coming out of the closet and experiencing all that, uh, what would be, I mean, I know you wrote it all down and I know there's an update here, obviously, that's not in the book, but what would you say kind of what's what's your, I don't know, paragraph advice, at least a paragraph, obviously, I don't mean to cut you off, but to anyone that might be dealing with that as well, where it becomes that paradigm shift where they're like, that's, let's talk about this. Let's, I'm a member of the church, I believe one thing, and it obviously doesn't necessarily coincide with a gay uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so the first thing I would say is talk to God about it. Talk to God and be honest with him and don't say things like, I know this is how I'm supposed to feel, but just be honest with how you're feeling and, you know, and, and honest about your love for your child and about, you know, what you want for that child. Um, I think that I would love to talk to people about the idea that some people say things like, I'm just so sad for my child because I feel like they're not going to, you know, eternally progress or they're not going to meet you know, some sort of idea that, that we have of, of God and of heaven. 
And I just want people to overcome that and say, you have to start to understand that God loves that child and will work with that child no matter what choices they're making right now. And that, that love isn't going to go away. And their opportunity to, to be at the seat of the table or whatever it is, however you want to put it, is still going to be there. And they, they have to move forward from there and kind of get rid of these previously conceived ideas that, that that's not going to work. A couple of things you said there that one, one that stands out to me that I really liked was that you said, be honest with him, right? Like when you're, when you're praying, when you're, um, Harper, did I, did I lose you? I think we got your, uh, I think, I don't think we lost your, when you finished. So that's good. So I can pick up right from there and then carry on from here. But what I was saying though, was that specifically initially, I liked, I loved how you said, be honest with God, because that, that sounds something like simple. It's like, well, obviously you can't lie to God. He knows, but it's like, really, I think how I would like to put what you're saying as well is that be honest with yourself with God, right? Because a lot of times I think we get caught up in telling God what we think he wants to hear. And so we think like, you know what, this is, this is who I am. Right. You know, like this is, this is what I believe. Right. You know, and it's, it's almost like you're waiting for uh, a confirmation of what he wants you to feel as opposed to like, let's just start from square one, which is uh, maybe I don't know what I believe when it comes to this anymore, and I'm I'm having this crisis. And I think you're right. There's a there has to be honest introspection there, because God cannot work with you if you're not being honest with yourself. I don't believe that. But if you are, if you are specifically saying like I struggle with this, I struggle with that, you know. And one way in which it was kind of put to me, I mean, it's indirectly at least. This was uh, something that I had heard from a friend where he he was kind of talking about how in a prayer he was so angry at God and he started swearing in his prayer. <laughs> and um, he had talked to his stake president even and was like, is that something that like, I mean, I kind of feel like, like I was just so upset. He wasn't asking for the stake president's permission, right? He knows that stake president can't give that anyway, but, um, he was just kind of telling about it. He's relating it to him. He's like, I was so ticked off at God that I started swearing. And I think he even said, I started swearing at him and the stake president's response immediately was, it's okay. He's a big boy. He can take it. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like, you hear that and you're like, what an amazing response from a leader of the church, right? Like there's no sense of condemnation there at all. He understands that this relationship with this man is very personal with mm-hmm. his own heavenly father. So he can't really even speak to that anyway. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that he what, what he was really promoting there, what the stake president was really genuinely promoting was that this man was at least having an honest relationship and conversation with his own heavenly father. And I think that's something that can probably be emphasized a little bit more. But I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say that, oh, that's something that's lost on us. We're doing a terrible job. But I do think we can emphasize that aspect where it's like, you need to be honest with yourself in order to really be honest with God. And from there, God will start working with you. Um, well, I you like said, the way that you were talking oh, about sorry, the personal, I, I'm sorry. I just like the way you were talking about no, the personal relationships, because that's kind of what I was getting at. It's like, who am I to say when my son or his partner or his husband comes to us and says, this is what we're doing spiritually to get closer to God. I am not going to say, oh, that's, that's not the right way to go about it. You know, and, and or anybody that comes to us and says, hey, my experience, I'm getting closer to God because I'm doing this. And it's something that isn't 
aligned with the, our church beliefs or values or whatever, I, I would never say, because I believe there are many, many ways to access God and to get closer to him. So I just love how you talked about how personal that is. And that was his personal relationship. And the stake president wasn't going to intrude on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think you're absolutely right where that's one of the most basic fundamental principles we can teach, because a lot of times you really teaching somebody how to think is a kind of a dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should say what to think. I think how to yeah, think is actually thank important. Thank you. That's what my yeah. children's book series is about, is teaching kids how to think instead of telling them think. what to think. Telling them what to think. Yeah. I mean, there is a, you're a mother. I'm I'm not a father, so I can't speak to this, but I am curious along those lines. Is there is there a threshold of like telling them this is what you need to do in order to like at least exist in a society? And then kind of you cut it off from there and say, now think about it on your own. How does that work exactly? Well, it's a definite progression. I mean, you know, obviously when you're a baby, you know, you're as their knowledge and their uh, capabilities grow, which, you know, your foundation that you should build for them should be very strong in that respect as far as, you know, teaching them how to how to survive and how to be, you know, um, be able to be strong in, in the world. But then as that grows and they have that foundation, then your trust for them grows and then you, you know, allow them to expand that in any direction that they want to take it. And, and you allow that open discussion in your home and you allow that, um, you know, people to change their minds and to, you know, question things and to do things like that in the home. And I think it gives them a lot of emotional strength, which which helps them to be confident in their choices, which leads to much better, you know, stronger um, feelings in life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. There's because along those lines, it's if you're teaching somebody what to think now, there's there is a balance there as a parent as you noted and it's a dangerous game and that's something that this stake president that i mentioned didn't want to play right he didn't want to say no no no, you're doing it wrong that's not good because at the end of the day that person that's actually making that statement is saying they're they are now claiming some responsibility for the outcome there and -hmm. if that outcome is wrong or unjustified and all of a sudden, there, it becomes problematic for that person. And that's why it's kind of a dangerous game to play. And I like, essentially, I, I, what I think I can say is that at the end of the day, your approach is, we don't know 100% how this is going to play out. We do know some things. Let's focus on those. But at the end of the day, we don't know how this is going to play out. So let's not as- assume one way or the other. Let's just do what we know, which is let's love others. Let's Let's live kind of this this life in the way that we know best and how we feel like we uh we should and um that's something i think i can get behind overall is is that it's yeah i love it is thank you and 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 i think um the idea is that you know we're not here to condemn anybody you know we make judgments all the time and we use these judgments to help protect us, protect others, protect those that we love. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think people take that to, to extremes, which happens with everything. So there's no surprise there. But the moment we lose ourselves is when we condemn others. And we think that we actually know their own standing with God. And to think that's so evil, that's so terrible, like they're screwed, like they're like amen to their eternity or whatever you want to talk, call it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because 
for me, I just know the sympathy that I felt through the atonement. And so who am I to say that I would have lived? Let me back up here a little bit to assume that, you know, the outcome of somebody else or that what they're doing is terrible and awful is to essentially assume that everything, if you would have experienced everything they did in their lives, that you would have done it better. Or that for some reason you would have, you would have been able to handle whatever it is they went through better, which there's, there's a lot of hubris in looking at things that way. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody that thinks that to kind of re-examine and say, I'm just grateful that I haven't had to go through those challenges and trials. Other than that, I can just love this person. Well, like the way that you said re-examine, because we're encouraging people to re-examine. We're not trying to say, because I don't want to jump in and say, you know, you did it wrong too, or you're doing it wrong. You know, I understand that. And I, I think I do mention that in the book, how, you know, things become so deeply embedded in our culture that it is like blasphemous to try to change them. And and you can understand that with some strong, you know, older generations that have really use this as a sense of identity and and it's hard and i understand that but if we can encourage people to re-examine the way that they're judging others i love that i like how you put that well thank you um you know i don't want to take up too much of your time and i do kind of maybe want to start i mean i I would see this going for another 10-15 minutes still but kind of maybe to start wrapping this up i do want to get your thoughts on a couple things that i'm just curious about and i did talk about this in a previous podcast episode um along the lines of how society seems to be trending certain ways. And some of that has to do with homosexuality, kind of that, like, not just gay being accepted, but also having a currency attached to it to some degree. And what I did was I actually highlighted a professor at the University of Utah who had a TED Talk and said in her own research, and she's lesbian, in her own research, she said to say that there's a gay gene that exists is limiting because then it means that people that are homosexual could never actually be a different type of whatever sexuality they want to be, which I thought was interesting because it's kind of essentially, you know, the church's standpoint and her standpoint converging, but for different reasons. I'm curious. That's a long winded way of just saying, basically, I'm curious. Do you, did you see that? Like, do you think there is something genetic to it? And this, I don't mean to put you too much on the spot and we don't, and this isn't me to get into a debate by any means. I'm not going to say, oh no, I disagree or whatever. I'm just curious what you think as a mother, as somebody who's experienced this fairly directly in your life, do you think it's something that's more kind of on the spectrum? Do you think there's some genetic aspect to it or how do you think that plays out? Because in terms of eternity, I think that's an interesting question to, to ask and to address. It really is an interesting question, but I don't want to embarrass my son who's a doctor. He will be so ashamed of me if I try to talk about something that I don't know anything about. So <laughs> genetically, I don't, I think I'll answer it this way is that honestly, for me as a mom, it, it doesn't matter to me whether or not it was genetic. It matters to me how he's feeling and it's real. What he's feeling is real. And whether that's going to go on for eternity or not, I, I'm not going to judge that either. Um, I see the love my son has for his husband, um, and that's real. And I don't, um, I'm never going to say this isn't right or this, you know, and, but um, so whatever it is, it's, if it's spiritual, if it's in their soul, if it's whatever it is, because I know how I feel um, sexually, but I don't know how anyone else feels. 
And so I, I just have to accept what they're saying. And I encourage people to work that out with God themselves. And, you know, you can listen to people who've done research and do all these things, but you need to tell God, you know, what you how, how you're feeling and try to figure out, you know, what he thinks about that. And, and that's all that I can say as far as that goes. I, I, that answer is great. That, I mean, that is like that going off of that, uh, you, you're speaking like somebody who you just don't have a lot of anxiety. I would imagine. Is that, I mean, I don't mean to like <laughs> dig into that personal aspect of maybe perhaps your mental health, but like you're speaking in a way of like, I can't control this. So why am I going to concern myself with this? And that <laughs> is the, that is the way a non-anxious people speak. Well, I and probably have a lot more anxiety speaking to you than anything. That's I'm just like I've told you before. I'm kind of a behind the scenes person, but um, I appreciate. Oh that. no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to give you any anxiety. I hope I hope this hasn't been an anxiety too anxiety inducing for you. I I like to put people at ease for sure. Um, just just know this that I I obviously have opinions. I mean, I have a podcast. Who's going to start a podcast without having any opinions? Perhaps yeah. some of them even strong. But I don't ever, I'll say, I shouldn't ever say, never say never. I'm sure I get caught in the mix of things. I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes and I've said the wrong thing plenty of times. But something I've tried to adopt is whatever my opinions may be, as long as they agree or disagree with others, I I really don't try and make people feel wrong, bad, or less than for whatever reason. Because like I've said before, I sharing my opinions is just my way of saying, hey, please share your opinions with me. And from there, I'm not going to say, ah, that makes you a bad person. Sorry. It's more like, oh, that's interesting. Like you clearly experienced something that I haven't in order to get you to that point. And so I just respect it at the end of the day. So that's hopefully this has been not too bad for you, I guess. No, no, but, I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Um. So now I got to know because from a, you, you talked about coming into the church and you still kind of kept on to that social liberal part. And you talked about abortion specifically, which is definitely a hot topic. Uh, is that something you, how have you, has you vacillated between any ideologies in that regard, or have you kind of kept to that, that you think, you know, I can be a member of the church and still think abortion should be available? Oh, yes. Um, I, I have vacillated a little bit. I'm trying to think about that and, and really trying to reconcile how I feel and about who God is and how he would feel about that. And I do have some strong opinions on that that might go go a little longer than you want. But um, but basically, yeah, I still support the idea that I think that abortion should be available. I do. Gotcha. But that's very complicated as far as politically, emotionally for people um, and just for health reasons and, and all sorts of things. But um, I think that God sure. can work all that out. I really do. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. It was more just kind of like, I wanted, I wanted to kind of circle back to that because we didn't actually address that. And I thought it was interesting in the context of how you've been a part of the church. And clearly that is something that you probably had to juggle as well. And yes. so I was just curious yeah. kind of to yeah. where yeah. you landed on that. And yeah. I wasn't and looking to get goes, I'm going to say this, it goes back to this. I don't think that the issue is abortion. I think that the issue is education and educating women in particular and men and holding that people accountable and um, allowing people to educate them about the consequences and understanding and helping them to move forward. I think that the abortion has become too much of an issue and it really isn't the issue. I would actually really agree with you there. Abortion has become more of a symptom of a larger issue, which to your point is education. It really mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And because you can argue the science back and forth. I think like 
both sides will say, well, science says this or science says that, you know, like when is it an actual human? But even that's even then it's like, are we arguing about when it's a human and therefore if it's murder or not? Or are we really arguing about a bigger deal here, which is we're trying to cure a symptom of an issue that is an offshoot of what love should be. Right. Right. We're, right. We're, we're, whether or not that that embryo becomes human at a certain point isn't what should be discussed. It should, to your point, and I like what you say there, is that it's why did two people feel compelled to have these sexual relations? And therefore, what like what is going to be the fallout? Is that like we need to teach people to love the right way? Maybe I don't know. I mean, there's a lot there. There's it's highly nuanced, obviously, but I, I, I couldn't agree more with you there. That's I love hearing that. So it's a whole nother podcast we got to do. It's true. Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't looking to get into an abortion topic podcast, especially that's not something I don't know if I'll ever be ready for personally, because again, the nuance and everything. But um, with that said, it's been an honor and a privilege that you would take time to talk with me about any of this. Was there anything that you'd want to leave before we kind of wrap things up here? Leave some of my listeners with in terms of like your own experience, the book or whatever else? Well, thank you. I know I really enjoyed um, meeting you. Um, I do. I, I would just leave you with this, and I'm so open to it. And I'm developing this myself. Um, but my push now is for this next generation to raise their children with the idea of of being open minded and open with open hearts. And that is, um, again, I was telling you about this series of, of children's books that I put out that helps promote discussion in the home for these things to help kids realize you know, that they, that it's okay to think it's okay to think different things and to to talk about them. And I think it will really develop a lot of emotional strength that will help the next generation to be a stronger generation. No, for sure. And if I may, you talk about being open-minded and open hearts and all those things. And I couldn't agree more with that. And I think to add to that, not only can you be open-minded about things and have that open heart, you can still have strong convictions. You know, it's not, it's not about having one or the other. It's not saying just because you don't want to castigate or condemn people for their actions or their thoughts or their behaviors doesn't mean you can't have firm and strong convictions about your own beliefs that it is possible. I mean, that was Christ, right? You know, we're starting to see different versions of Christ pop up now, I feel like, but at the end of the day, in the scriptures, it shows Christ as a man who was all loving, but had very firm, strong convictions. And to be a part of his fold, you had to start maybe adop- adopting new ideologies and new new beliefs. But that doesn't if if you chose not to be a part of his fold, that didn't mean he hated you or didn't love you. He still loved you, and adopting and being able to balance that love. Loving everybody, even in your group and outside of your group, is 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 a hard thing to tackle for a lot of people for whatever reason. But um, anyway, this is again, once again, it's becoming tangential. I probably should change the name of this no, podcast I love to the tangential you. pod. But I love how you described Christ, and that's our goal. That's the goal, right? Yeah. To become like him. We're all far from it, but but that's exactly. The goal. I love it. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Anyway, Jackie, thank you so much again for taking the time, and it it was an honor to talk to you. Um, I. Seriously, talking to you, I could talk to you probably for a long time about a lot of different things. Uh, so with that, I just thank you for coming and talking about the book. Actually, there's one thing I did want to end with. What's the update on Spencer? Because uh, you said like a lot's happened since the book. And I don't mean I don't mean to say like 
what have you discovered since then? But I just mean like, where's he at right now in life and everything? And how's, how's he doing? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, he is doing great. He, um, I mean, that book kind of ended when he was in high school and he did go through yeah. a lot, which is really a whole nother book that he probably needs to write. Um, a lot of, of self uh, discovery. And um, he actually um, was married about a year ago to a, a wonderful young man and they are living in Pasadena, both working and they're doing great. So he, he would awesome. love to meet you. <laughs> That's great to hear. Seriously. And what, what was the, uh, what's the timeline since the, since high school? Like how, in other words, how old, not to get too personal. I don't mean to like, just like find him or anything. Yeah. I just mean, okay. cause the, the bit, I'll tell you why I'm curious. His prom date, like yes. sounded like such an, a nice guy and a nice situation too there that your husband came and took those same pictures that he takes with all your other kids and their hetero dates. I thought yeah. that was a nice image. It was kind of like, hey, like that. I mean, it was just kind of a, a lovely time for your family to be like, let's let's support our son. We love him. We love him. Let's not treat him differently. Like, let's let's just be there for him. I thought that was very beautiful. And so that's why I asked, because I was like, I wonder if there was anything more that came of that with his with his prom. Date. It was prom, right? I think it was. Prom. Oh, yeah. Yes, that was a prom. Was it a just dance, one at least. Yeah, that was just one, you know, relationship, one date and a boyfriend. Gotcha. And, uh, but he's well, definitely just like left. everybody else's prom date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he definitely moved on to, to college and uh, went through a lot of different experiences since then. So, yeah. So it's probably been about six years since I gotcha. OK, well, hey, that's great. Thank you again. And uh, best wishes to you, your family and uh, everything else that you go on through life discovering and sharing. So thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. Hope we meet up again. Likewise. Thank you, Jackie. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.